My name is Brandon Edwards. I'm the worship pastor here at Journey. And we are near the end of our series this summer that we're calling Growing. And what it is is we're looking at what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Let's read this together. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. But what are these fruit from? Well, these are the characteristics of God in his Spirit. Paul teaches that the Spirit comes to live in us makes our home in us when we decide to follow Jesus. And God is love, and God is joyful, and full of peace, and patient, and kind, and gentle, and full of self-control, and he's faithful. And this week, we're gonna focus on gentleness. One of the best biblical examples that I know of, of God's gentleness, is the gentleness of the father in the story of the prodigal son. So the, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the. If you if you, if uh, you haven't heard of the, the story, the prodigal son went to the father and he rejected him completely and said, "You're dead to me. Give me my inheritance." And so, what does the father do? He gives him his inheritance and lets the son go. And then the son squanders it on what the Bible calls wild living, and then realizes when he has nothing left and. <clears throat> and things are really bad for him, he realizes that, boy, just, just being a servant in my father's household is better than this. And so he goes back to his dad, expecting to get torn a new one. And his dad, instead of doing that, is gentle and kind. And, and he invites him back in and he celebrates. He's so happy that he's back. And then the father also, there's an older brother, and the older brother's not too happy that he got, his younger brother got to come back. And, and so the father corrects the older brother, gently. And that's this amazing example of how God is our father and how he corrects us with gentleness. Psalm 103, 6 says that God, even back in Moses' time, God revealed to him that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is throughout scripture. He's slow to anger and and he's filled with unfailing love. And it says, the Lord is like a father to his children. He's tender and compassionate to us. These are the characteristics of God. And those are revealed to Moses, and they're also revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And these fruit of the Spirit, they grow in us from God's Spirit that's alive in us. So today we're gonna focus on what I said, gentleness or meekness. The Bible, the word in the Bible is called proutus, and that means humble meekness. So it's a meekness that comes from humility. Now last week, Derry talked about the faithfulness that comes from the Spirit, and it's listed right next to gentleness. And that's on purpose. Paul does that because they're two sides of the same coin. They balance each other out, faithfulness and gentleness. Because every one of us is either leans to one side or the other. We're either more about faithfulness, and that might look like something in our lives like, we tell it like it is. I just call it how I see it. Or maybe we're, we're bold and we say, well, this is what truth is. This is what's right. And that's kind of how we're wired. Or the other, other side of the coin is that makes us really uncomfortable and we're more meek and gentle in our nature. 
Well, Paul says that we, if we have the spirit of God in us because we're following Jesus, we're gonna have both sides of that coin. We're gonna have faithful gentleness, humble, meek leadership. And then the spirit is leading us into that and we're growing in that kind of fruit. So it made me think this week, have you ever tried to grow fruit? Has anyone ever grown fruit on a tree or a bush or just out of the ground? Well, my wife and I, well, more my wife, started growing strawberries with the kids this year. Just a little thing, a little bush of strawberries. And have you ever grown fruit with children? They don't really want to let it grow big. They just kind of, as soon as they see that there's anything that resembles a strawberry, they just pick it and eat it, you know, these little green sour things. And, you know, it made me realize that, you know, Fruit starts out basically invisible. It's, it, you might be growing fruit, but it's super small. And it takes a long time for it to grow. It's possible in us to have the fruit of God's spirit in us, but it's basically invisible. It's hard to see. And Paul is challenging us that growing the fruit of the spirit is not something some Christians get to do or just mature Christians or really advanced Christians. It's something that all of us should do because we have God's spirit. And if you don't have these things growing in you, you can't be sure you're a Christian. That's how important it is to Paul. He says, you might not actually be following Jesus if you don't have these things growing in you. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 33, how do you know a tree is alive? If it has fruit on it. If it doesn't have fruit on it, it's probably not alive. So how do we grow in the spirit. Sometimes we approach growing in our faith and personal transformation like it's just going to happen. It's just this passive thing. And if we learn something new, if we get something new in our head, then we're just going to grow. Oh, man, that that was right on. And then we're just going to grow in our fruit of the spirit. We don't, and, and then we get upset. If we don't grow, we ask questions like, why am I not changing? Why isn't my friend changing or my spouse changing? Why aren't my children growing in the fruit? Because we think it's just about knowing something. Or we think we can just change one thing in our life and then become more like Christ. But really, it's about whole life change. And that's what Paul is talking about. We reorient our whole life around following Jesus. And that's how we grow. It reminds me of my friend Dakota who went with us to Ethiopia this year. We just got back from our Ethiopia missions trip a couple weeks ago. This is Dakota with his compassion child, Nati, that he sponsors. Now, for work, Dakota does excavation. And you can kind of see from his bicep, he's pretty strong. Um, but what he, his, his uh, big primary hobby is, is actually bodybuilding. He's a bodybuilder. And he's tall, so he's 6'5", he's 240 plus pounds, super low body fat, and you can, I, I was really excited for him to come with us to Ethiopia because I really wanted to see what the kids did when they saw him because there, if you know Ethiopians, there is no one as big as Dakota over there in Ethiopia. No one is super stacked like him. And so um, I really wanted to see what the kids did. And they did not let me down. It was great. They just looked at him. And when they saw him, their eyes just popped open. And 
And the very first day they come up with a nickname for him. It was Action Hero, which <laughs> I never would have thought of that. So one of the Christian teachers, Abby, was getting to know, this is Abby. He was getting to know uh, Dakota. Now, Abby works for Bring Love In, and Bring Love In is the primary organization we work with over there. They've adopted 57 children out of the government orphanage, and they've split those kids up into nine forever families, with each with a Christian widow. And so they have these forever families. They live in separate homes. And Abby and one other guy are the only men that work for the organization, and they work at the office, and they're kind of like the dads to these kids. Abby is a wonderful Christian man, and the kids love him. And Abby, one day, a couple days in, he went up to Dakota, and he asked, what two exercises do I need to do to get big like you? (laughs) And Dakota wasn't sure that he was, like, being, I think he knew that that he really was asking that question. He wasn't making a joke, but we thought it was funny because two exercises, right? Like, you can't just do two exercises and be a bodybuilder. Bodybuilding is dozens of hours a week of working out and eating right, diet and sleeping right, rest, recovery, the whole thing. It's your whole life. And later, a few days later, we had an activity we like to do where the kids stand in a circle and they each say what they want to be when they grow up. And Abby said, I want to be big like Dakota. And then later on, he said, "Um, Dakota, next year I'm going to be big like you. I'm going to be bodybuilder like you. But Abby can't just do two exercises and get big like Dakota, right? We know that. Two exercises helps. He'll get a little stronger. He might get a little bit bigger muscle. But he'd need to commit to getting a personal trainer or a friend to work out who knew what he was doing. And then every day he would change his diet. He would change his rest, his recovery, everything. And that's just like that. In order to be truly transformed into the image of Jesus, this is what Paul's talking about. It's whole life change. And you can see what happened there. Abi needs someone like Dakota in his life who's been successful at growing and teaching him. And he needs community and support. And that's why at Journey, we make a big deal about Journey communities. In order to grow and transform, we need other believers to be with us. It's just like the early church, just like the disciples. And you'll be hearing more about Journey communities in the coming weeks as our growth groups ramp up for the fall. So how do we grow? Part of the answer is we do it in community because if we're not in community, we're probably not being challenged and not growing. Or we go so far out on our own working on something that we don't have support and we need that to keep going and being challenged. It's the easiest thing to do around church is just be committed to the same few things. Coming on Sunday maybe, a couple, maybe just just reading our Bible every day. But we're not actively choosing to invite the Spirit to work in our lives. And you see it all the time at church because people don't change if they don't have to. And you usually don't want to actually change. It's easier to just keep going because change creates waves in our life. For instance, on Sunday, here at our worship gatherings, they can be transformative, but it's up to each one of us to choose to listen to the Spirit inside of us. 
to allow ourselves to be challenged. We have to be open and ask God to teach us because we're a room full of sinners and, and we can easily just let ourselves be thrown off by something that the, the preacher says or by how someone else acts or how some worship leader does something on stage or how somebody's dressed or how, how somebody treats us. It's easy to let ourselves get thrown off from that. And my favorite is thinking, you're hearing the message and you think, oh man, my wife would really do well with that. <laughs> or my friend or my family member or coworker. Man, if they only heard that sermon, I'm gonna go send them a link as soon as I get home. I catch myself doing that all the time rather than simply asking God, what do you have for me today? I'm here, God Speak to me, challenge me. I invite you to change my life. Because beliefs, even strong held beliefs, don't actually on their own produce a changed life. Humility doesn't just happen because you start believing in God. You might believe really strongly in God. You might even love him and believe in his love for you and be just as selfish and just as anxious and messed up as everybody else. Belief in God who really loves you should transform your identity. It should humble you. But it usually doesn't because beliefs don't automatically mean change behavior. They don't automatically mean change character. And that's what Paul's talking about in Galatians. He says we have to actively choose to follow the Spirit in our life. And sometimes that goes against what we want because we're selfish. But it's through different Practices like worship and prayer and Bible study, choosing to live our life in community with others rather than independently and reconciliation and confession and forgiveness. These are transformational things we can do with the right attitude inviting God to transform us in their intentional ways that the early church chose to live their lives and follow Jesus' example choosing to live in community. So at Journey, we choose to live our lives this way. And Jesus models it to us throughout the New Testament. It's throughout scripture. In fact, one of the first early hymns we read in Philippians is about choosing humility like Jesus. Let's read this together. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is the hymn. Who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was an early hymn that we saw in the early church and that means they repeated it over and over. They sung that song just like we sing songs on Sunday and that helps transform our hearts and remind us of who God is and who we are. So Jesus modeled that kind of humility with his whole life, 
Humble gentleness is looking, it says, to the interests of others before our own needs and interests. This was the first time I got to bring my wife Stephanie with me to Ethiopia. And we'd known that God was calling her to come for years. And this is the first time we actually got to make it happen because our kids were just old enough that we could have family and friends watch them. And it was awesome having her there. She is wonderful with the team and super caring and loving with the kids. And loving people is definitely her priority in life and she is good at it. Well, this year we were invited to spend time with three different ministries. We had a bigger team and we split up for parts of the time to, to work with three different ministries they, they, that had asked us to help them. That first one was Bring Love In, which I talked about, and another one in the same area is called Embracing Hope. And what Embracing Hope is, is they work with children that have single moms in the poorest area in Addis. Addis is about six million people in it, and they have one giant garbage dump, and the area around that garbage dump is the poorest area. And what happens is all those moms were scavenging in the garbage dump with their children. And so uh, it's very dangerous, as you can imagine, and not healthy. And so what this Christian ministry has done is they give daycare and early elementary education for those kids for free for the moms so that they can get regular jobs. That's the only requirement is you, you just can't do that job. You have to get a, a good job. And they allow that. And so what they've, what they've done is they invited us to come and help those kids learn English. Now, why do we do English at Bring Love In and Embracing Hope? Why do they ask us to do this? Well, in Ethiopia, from fifth grade on, all subjects are taught in English, every subject. It's not their native language, but they're all taught in English. And this is true throughout Africa. Schools in English, at some point, it transitions to English. And then the finishing examinations to go into university or to, to trade school are in English. And so these Christian ministries know that. So for the kids to be successful, they ask us to come and help them with their spoken English, the English that they can actually use, because it's just not taught very well in the country. In fact, the most is about 11% of the kids are able to pass those finishing exams and go on to university or trade school. And so they know it's really important. If, if they're going to raise up the leaders and bring love in and embracing help to be future Christian leaders in the country, they need to learn English. And so what we do is we kind of set this, do this English immersion camp while we're there. And it's a vacation Bible study. And we work with the kids and uh, teach them English. And it's, it's really been powerful to see over the last six years that we've been doing this, how, how much the kids have learned and uh, been impacted by our time with them such as calling them action hero. That's a good example. But there was a new one, the third ministry for us this year, which was Omo Hope. And Omo Hope is down in Jinka. And four of us went down to Jinka, which is in the south uh, western part of the country. And there, it was started by the same people as Bring Love In, in partnership with some people in that area. And it's this amazing ministry that saves children who are going to be killed. Now, these children are born, and no fault of their own, they're born in the local culture. There's about 200,000 people in these six different tribes that believe that if the parents 
um, are, uh, conceive out of wedlock that those children are going to be a curse to the village. And it's hundreds of years that's developed in the most difficult to live area in Ethiopia. If you've, you've heard of famine um, and drought and, and, and disease happening in Ethiopia, this is the area that that happens in. And over hundreds of years, these, this belief that it's caused by this curse that people have messed up, the kids were born, and they're a curse as long as they have them. And so what they do is they ritually kill them. And a man named Lale Labuka, who, who was uh, in the blue shirt there next to Logan and I, he, he, was, uh, he went and was taught English through a, a Swedish Christian missions school. And he walked 70 miles, bare feet, no joke, bare feet to learn English and get taught, and through his time with those Christian ministries, uh, missionaries, he became a Christian, and he realized, uh, and then he found out what was happening with the children, and he decided, I'm gonna, I, 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 he felt God calling him to save those children, and so now he started Omo Hope with the people who started Bring Love In, and they've saved over 50 of those Mingi children that are considered cursed. And they're in an, oh, this wonderful, loving orphanage, and we got to visit them. So Logan and Stephanie and I and Jordan went to go visit them down in Jinka. Now, <clears throat> we would play games with them, and we would dance and color with them and help them with their English. But being with them just broke my wife Stephanie's heart for them because the kids don't have a mommy. They're in an orphanage. And as she learned more and more about the kids' stories and spent time with them, she just wanted to do anything she could do to show them that they were loved by her specifically. And so towards the end of the trip, Stephanie remembered this story of the kissing hand that we had read last year. And if you're not familiar with the kissing hand, it's a children's story about a raccoon named Chester. And Chester was scared to leave his mom and go to school for the first time. And so what his mom did is she kissed Chester's hand and told him to put his hand to his cheek any time that he was afraid or lonely and to remember that mommy loves you. And so Stephanie started, she kissed the hand of one of the girls at Oma Hope. And she put that hand to the girl's cheek and he said, anytime that um, you want to, you remember that I love you. And so, of course, as soon as that little girl got her hand kissed, then all 50 of the other kids wanted to have Stephanie kiss their hand and put it to their cheek. And so then, of course, uh, they wanted to kiss Stephanie's hand and put it, have her put it to her cheek. And then they're drawing those pictures, just like the book of, of an outline of their hand with a heart in the middle, just like the picture, and that that represents this. And it just kind of goes on and on and... Ethiopia is um, filled with bacteria, okay? Um, and and uh, it's bacteria we're not used to. It's just, I mean, we are, here is filled with bacteria too, but we're used to it so we don't get sick. But they, um, we, when we go over there, about half the team usually gets sick from bacteria, even though I warn them, please don't do the, like anything like what Stephanie was doing, of course. So she's breaking all my rules, right? <laughs> And I'm really upset. Like, uh, this is to protect you. And so you can actually spend time with the kids. Don't do this, right? And so, uh, like, just kind of do the, maybe just like that, you know? Like, don't have, well, she didn't do that. 
right? And I was upset at first, and it was frustrating. But then I thought it through, and I realized that she wasn't doing this for herself. She was doing it selflessly for the children. She was thinking of them, not her. She was humbly loving them in gentleness. It was this great image of how Jesus selflessly and sacrificially loves us. The Spirit of God produces that kind of humble, gentle love. She was doing it at risk to herself. She knew it. Now, she's fine. Stephanie's fine. Did she get sick? Yes, she got sick, okay? But that is why God gave us the gift of antibiotics. And so she was very good. And as soon as she started feeling bad, she took her antibiotics. And and she never had to miss a day with the kids. She just toughed it out. Whereas if she hadn't taken her antibiotics, she would have been curled up in a bed for four days until she took them. And so that was great. She got to spend the time with the kids. And it was this great example to me of God because she was humbly loving others, uh, sacrificing herself, putting their needs and interests above her own. And that kind of humble gentleness, that's what we're trying to grow in ourselves. And and, and what that looks like, that kind of humble gentleness, is self-forgetfulness. It's not worrying about how you look. It's not worrying about how people are treating you all the time. You're actually thinking of others ahead of yourself. That's real humility. But we live in a culture that's driven by pride, not humility. Humility, like Jesus models, really goes against our culture. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. But in our culture, it's survival of the fittest, the proud, the powerful. We want to be like them, not meek, There's this great place in the book Mere Christianity where C.S. Lewis writes, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. The only way you can really grow in humility is to lose it. And why is that? Because you can't work on humility because humility is self-forgetfulness. You can only work on not appearing proud. One writer says, humility is the shyest of all virtues. You can't talk about humility without it going away. You can't work on it directly like you can work on other things in your faith. So what are you supposed to do? The passage in Philippians tells us you're supposed to look at someone else. Look at their interests ahead of your own. Look at their needs ahead of your own. One writer describes the gospel like this. Jesus was treated the way we deserve. So now when we believe in him, we're treated the way he deserves to be treated. And you know what this means? It means Jesus looks at you and he says, to me, you are more precious than all the jewels that lie beneath the earth. He looks at us like precious jewels. And what if we, what if we looked at our neighbors and we looked at them like the precious jewel because of how much God wants to do in their lives? 
Because that's the way God looks at them. What would, what would we look like? What would our life be like if we chose to live like that? We saw them as precious and we wanted to build them up ahead of ourselves. What kind of friends would we be if we lived that way? What kind of spouses and family members would we be to our loved ones if we lived like that? Thinking of their success ahead of ours. What kind of church would we be if we chose to think that way about the success of others ahead of ours? I wanted to show you this video of our Ethiopia trip. Every, every year we try and do this. Short-term missions are really important to our church because we're called to love our neighbors, both here and around the world. And we wanna do that through real relationship with them. Yes, we wanna be financially generous and we are financially generous with uh, very key areas around the world. But what God calls us to is this transforming relationship with people that's transforming both for us and them. So when you go on a short-term mission, you bring your A game and it is transformational. It's like discipleship boot camp. You're focused on loving others. You are a missionary. And we should be doing that at home. We should be living like a missionary at home, but we often make excuses, right? Because it happens, because we're selfish and it's not easy. So what we, what we wanna do around Journey is we wanna bring that experience back home to our church and show you how wonderful these kids are and leaders are that we work with and how full of love and hospitable they are towards us. So let's watch this together. And
Jesus says in John 15, four, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It's about following Jesus with our whole lives, listening to the Spirit. Paul talks similarly in Colossians to the the church there and gives us a little more insight into how to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. He writes, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, and malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And then he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Then he goes into some more application. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So how do we grow? One way, Paul says, is through forgiveness. And how do we do that? Well, when someone wrongs me, Scripture says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And Scripture is one of the most helpful ways to help us grow, studying Scripture, because it changes how we see ourselves and helps change who we are. It helps us remember that I'm someone who needed to be forgiven. And it's one of the ways that we grow in gentleness, because we're not judging others as below us. I needed to be forgiven, too. We're not judging people. We're remembering that if I were in that person's shoes, I could very well have made that decision. I have made bad decisions like that. And Paul talks about being the chiefest of all sinners. He really thought that he that everyone was greater than him. He was the chiefest of all sinners. And that's another way to remind ourselves that I've made those kinds of bad choices before. I've hurt people before. I could have done that. And then thinking, the next step is, I want what's best for that person. Sometimes I repeat parts of that Philippian scripture. I, I paraphrase it in my head. I say something like, Jesus didn't think of himself. He made himself a servant. Or Paul says, he was the chiefest of all sinners. What kind of friends would we be if we were a church like that? What kind of church community would it look like? What would we look like if we loved our neighbors and coworkers like that? Forgiving those who hurt us. Thinking of other people's needs and interests above our own, like Jesus. That's what leading people to radical love and in action like Jesus is all about. Radical forgiveness, thinking of the needs and interests of others above our own. And then we'll grow more and more like Christ. And the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control will flow out of our life and into the lives of those around us and our relationships.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your spirit and your character, for your love and your gentleness and your faithfulness. And we invite you to speak to us about the ways that you want to grow our hearts to reflect your character. Lead us into your gentle faithfulness and help us to respond to the call of love, sacrificial love towards our neighbors. Help us look to value others above ourselves. And thank you for the example of your life, that ultimate, ultimate example of sacrificial and selfless love on the cross. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.